Warm intros run the world. It's how humans translate trust with each other. If you want to break into a network, get someone from that network to vouch for you, and getting in is much easier. With that said, I don't know how this has happened, but in 2023, getting a warm intro has never been harder. There are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people aiming to get into very exclusive networks, and the warm intro model isn't effective anymore. There's too much noise for the signal. So if you are a professional, if you're someone that wants to expand your network, what is someone to do? Well, you could spend your time cold emailing, sending LinkedIn emails, and hoping one of 100 people replies to get you a coffee meeting that leads nowhere, or you could do something different. And today's episode is sponsored by SeedScout, which allows you to do something different. SeedScout is a platform that allows you to request introductions to other people on the network with a click of a button. No more sending long emails, no more sending, doing all this research, right? It's simple. You send an intro request. If they want to meet you, they accept, and you're instantly introduced. SeedScout is an alternative way to expand your network that gives someone more context than a cold email, but it's faster to achieve than that warm introduction. So if you are a sick of spending hours, days, weeks, months, even years trying to break into new networks and you just want to try something new, I would check out seedscout.com, S-E-E-D, scout.com. Let's get into today's episode and thanks for listening. What is going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders. I am very grateful to have your attention, at least for the next 15 minutes of this episode. Forward Thinking Founders is a podcast where I interview pre-seed and seed stage founders about their products, what they want to build into the world, and why. We dive into how they spend their time, what's their vision, what's the origin of stories, all these things, so you can learn all about what's coming tomorrow. Because these companies haven't hit critical scale yet. Most of them haven't hit product market fit. These are just early stage companies, and the big question is, what can this be? And in this podcast, we bring that out. So with that, I really hope you enjoy your time listening to today's episode. And I've already done 200 plus, so if you like this one, listen to some of the other ones, like with Imadi Kund, Austin Allred, Leah Culver. We have great interviews, so check it out. Enjoy the repository, and for now, let's get into today's episode. Here we go. All right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we talk to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Artie Nakshina, who's the founder of Browse AI. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on and looking forward to learning more about what you are working on. For people that haven't heard of your company, what is Browse AI? Yeah, so Browse AI is the easiest way for prosumers, startups, and SMBs to extract and monitor data from any website. And what, what makes it unique is that it lets you turn any website into a spreadsheet or API in two minutes with no technical knowledge or uh, coding knowledge. Uh, and to give it, to give you an idea of where we're at, we launched less than two years ago. And uh, over the last six months, we've gone from 20,000 users to over 200,000 teams and individuals using us. And we're prof- profitable since last month with uh, 10 full-time team members and a few part-time. And uh, we are, I'm raising a seat round this week. I'm actually closing it by the end of the week. And uh, the plan is to scale the team, add more intelligence to the product, and build a platform around what we have today. All right, this is awesome. Well, congrats on profitability. That's that's obviously a really great place to be. So congrats <laughs> there. So let's walk through um, someone wants to try the product or they were to become a customer. What can they do with it? Can you walk us just a little deeper into like, you know, what you can do with Browse AI? What can't you do? Just high level description on, you know, what a customer gets out of it. 
Sure. Uh, it's a freemium product, so anybody can sign up for free and they get access to almost every product feature. Uh, it, it, we just limit the amount of data they can extract. And uh, they, so there are two ways they can use Browse AI. They either browse through the pre-built, the gallery of pre-built robots for popular use cases and start using them with a couple of clicks, uh, or they uh, create their own custom robot or agent or whatever people call them these days. And what I mean by that is uh, you enter the website address that you want to extract data from. Uh, it could be a website that you keep checking every day or every week for uh, finding new leads or finding information on your competitor, or it could be your competitor's product catalog. Uh, and once you enter that website address, we open that site with the Browse AI robot observing your actions on the screen. You show it where the information is in like a minute or two, and you finish uh, recording. And it this quickly becomes an a highly scalable and reliable automation on your Browse AI dashboard that you can run anytime on our servers and essentially train it once, run it a million times on the cloud and get all the data that you need in a spreadsheet format or in your CRM or any other application that you use. That's amazing. Uh, it's such a powerful, Thanks. powerful tool. I'm curious, like, where where did you get the idea from? Or in other words, like, what's the origin story here? What, what compelled you to build this product? Yeah, so... Um, yeah, there are short versions and long versions, but like to give you an like, idea of the bigger picture. So I'm, uh, I'm in Canada right now, but I, I was born and raised in Iran in a smaller city in Iran. And uh, uh, I started coding when I was eight years old and I learned about the internet and I got obsessed with it. And the reason I got obsessed with the internet was that as a little kid who couldn't even speak English in the Middle East, I had the same access to information on the web that big companies in North America have. And that was just mind blowing to me. And that slowly changed over time. So like over the last couple of decades, I noticed that uh, every big tech company is scraping, like at my job, I could see that big tech companies are scraping hundreds of millions of web pages every day and using that information to grow faster. Uh, but the SMBs and prosumers still have to use web browsers to manually access information or they have to custom code their own web automation. And that's just a terrible experience and too much costly for anyone. Uh, and yeah, I wanted to change that. So in 2020, came up with the idea of mixing RPA style UI automation with a better user experience and uh, with a focus on web data extraction and monitoring, and then created, uh, well, the world's first web automation software that's uh, uh, that automates the entire process and doesn't require any code. And it takes two minutes to set up for an average non-technical person. And I have to ask, like, you started, you didn't just start this, right? You started this, you know, you said about two, two or so years ago, but at this moment in 2023, for people listening where, where it's the middle of June, uh, 2023 AI is like, everyone's all in, in AI, in AI, like cause of open AI, GPT three, like all these models are being built, but you kind of had a little bit of a foresight to start working on this before the boom. My question for you is, did you even think about the market at all when deciding to build this? Or was it just purely out of like personal interest? And it just so happened that you were just a little early, not too early, but like the right amount of early to catch this wave that we're that we're seeing right now. Yeah, I, I couldn't guess look when this takeoff was gonna happen, but we all knew it was gonna happen over, over the next few years. Uh but this is not I don't think this is like why I did this at, at that time. I think uh, the, the main reason was that like th there were a lot of technology advancements that were happening around the same time that enabled us to do this with such a small team. And uh, um, yeah, we've like, we, with only like five senior engineers, we were able to get to 200,000 users and, and uh, tens of millions of automations run on the cloud. Uh, yeah, so like that, that was impossible before. That just 
became possible with the advancements. And uh, uh, yeah, and I, yeah, I think I, I could see the broader, uh, well, the, the broader trend that I could see in the market was that the web isn't going anywhere as a medium and uh, uh, companies are going to keep using information on the web and the information that's being published on the web is increasing exponentially over time, especially after COVID. Uh, yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, I thought that was a great area to invest uh, like the next 10 or 15 years of my life. And <laughs> Well, what's crazy is you'd find is like, I inter as you know, like I've interviewed about this actually, by this time I, I publish this, I'll, I've already published my 900th interview. It might be like my 900, my 910th interview or something. But like a lot of times you find that founders just scratch their own itch because they just, that's just like the problem they want to solve. And then it just so happens that that, is also an itch that a lot of other people wanted to scratch. It just takes a little longer to figure out. And what I find is the people that scratch their own itch before the market truly needs it in a major way are the ones that win versus ones that see that the market needs it. And they're like, oh, I want to work on it now. And no, well, they're going to get beat by people like you, right? Because you, you were working on it earlier. So I just, it's always an interesting dynamic for me. Um, what, one other question I had is like, you, like you said, you're, you're running a, a great company. You, you, you mentioned profitability. You have a small team. I guess I have two two questions here. The first question is, was it, you can disclose as much or as little as you want. Like, was it hard to get it to profitability or was that always kind of the plan? And um, I'll just leave it there and I'll ask the second question after. Was it hard to create a profitable company or was that always the plan from the get? So, yeah, it was hard. And um, yeah, and I wasn't expecting to become profitable so early. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I think like with startups, especially like, be like SaaS PLG startups, uh, it's really hard to take things off the ground. Uh, and you have to just grind through so many like initial ups and downs. Uh, but like, and, and like people ask me like, how did, how did it take off? Like what, what happened? What was that trigger? And there was no single trigger. Like so many things happened around the same time, you know, like over the last like, like year or so uh, that yeah, made the growth, like just increase over time. And if you look at the numbers, it's, uh, it's really interesting how consistent things are. So like last year we had like 20% month over month growth and then it gradually increased like this year it's like 30% month over month growth. So it's like very predictable consumer behavior uh, that we're seeing. And we, we're just optimizing the funnel one step at a time, adding new features and like uh, implement, like running new campaigns and landing pages and all sorts of things. And you see that percentage slowly increasing over time. And that makes a huge difference. Uh, yeah, I feel like, like uh, it was good that from day one, I wanted to keep the business close to break even. I never wanted to burn a lot of cash. So that, that's why I didn't raise too much funding. I only raised 400K last year, pre-seed. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, like even that money, we we spent less than half of it. Um, yeah. So uh, and I think it also helped that I come from uh, uh, from Iran where... Uh, uh, well, my dad had his own business and he was, uh, I, I was exposed to how you run a business in a very uncertain environment, uh, like the one we have here right now. Uh, and, uh, I knew that like, you can't depend on the cash from investors coming in. So yeah, better to build a company that doesn't fail with investors, not investing. Definitely. It keeps the yeah. leverage in your corner, which is always important. So my follow-up question on that is if you don't mind me asking, like, what's your day-to-day -day look like? You're, 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 you're running the company. It's growing. Like all the good things are happening. Like where are you spending your time uh, as, as a founder as of, uh, as of today? Yeah. And it's really hard for, as a solo founder to manage that. But uh, uh, so, so what, what I'm doing trying these days is I try to have a theme for every week. 
uh, basically like this week, for example, my theme is hiring and uh, uh, doing everything related to hiring that uh, is blocked by me. Uh, but like last week, it was investor connections and investor meetings. And the, the theme for that week takes about half of my time. The other half is uh, just making sure no one on the team is blocked, uh, re responding to emails and messages that takes a bunch of time. Uh, yeah. And just keeping keeping an eye on the KPIs, financials, all of that. Uh, yeah. So it changes. It varies week to week. Yeah, like I, I, I'm also a a solo founder. I think a little earlier than you are on the co company, but I still understand. Like, yeah, there's a million different things to do, and you just gotta. It changes every week as different things change in the company, as different things change outside of the company, right? So, yeah, I feel like I, I don't know if that, I don't know if that ever changes. Like, even if you're a CEO of like a large company, I feel like it's still a lot of blocking and tackling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I try to delegate the stuff that I don't don't really enjoy or. The, the things that don't bring a ton of value to the company uh and i'm a product person so i try to do more more of the product uh stuff uh yeah yeah I, I, that actually brings up a question because it's something I, I struggle with like in the early days like you probably know what you're good at and you know what you're not as good at was there ever a time where you actually just couldn't delegate what you, what you weren't good at because you either didn't have the money or like you didn't have like the person um and if so like how would you like, how'd you just do that? And then uh, if not, um, do you have any kind of thoughts for people that maybe haven't raised any money yet? They're on their first day of their journey and they know what they're good at. They know what they're bad at, but it's just them and that's it. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I have so many thoughts on that. So like the, the first year it was brutal because I was doing too many things and I felt like I can't do things fast enough. Uh, and I tried to bring a few, like I, I found out about YC co-founder matching program uh, through startup school, uh, met a couple of people there. Uh, and then ended up wor working with someone for a few months, uh, just as a trial pre period. And uh, um, we, at the end, we decided that uh, it would be better for him to join us as an advisor instead of co-founder. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, I think uh, it, like if I could go back in time, I might try to bring someone on board earlier on because I feel like it gets harder the more you go into the business. Uh, but uh, and now the advantage that I have as a solo founder is, well, there are a lot of advantages, but for example, one is that I have a lot of equity uh, and I can use that to hire exceptional people and give them a lot of stake in the business. Uh, and uh, I could hire many people like that uh, instead of like having one or two co-founders are supposed that are supposed to do everything. Uh, yeah. So there are some advantages and pros and cons. I didn't have, well, I was working like double the full-time hours for the last few years. <laughs> so that wasn't fun. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm glad, well, now we're at the point that I don't have to work that hard anymore and I can, I could hire people that could do things even better than I can. Uh, yeah, that's when you get to a point, I recently got there where you can hire even part-time help to, to just do things that, that, that there's 10 times better than you. Like I, I don't design, <laughs> yeah. I like, I can't, I can't design. I just brought on the designer for my company and he's just, it's just like, thank the Lord because, it was really yeah. bad before. It was really bad. Oh before. yeah. Oh, and and one more thing I want to mention is like as a technical founder, I like sales was the uh the the farthest away place from my comfort zone, and I I was forced to do it because I didn't have anyone else who could take the sales meetings, and that was such a great experience. Like I we wouldn't be where we are today if I hadn't taken those sales meetings. If I had someone else, um, yeah, because like that informs so many product decisions and early on before we go too deep into the wrong direction, uh. Yeah, and like one of the books that I read was uh, uh, the Mom's Test. That and I think yeah, it's the Mom Test, and uh, that made a huge difference because that changed 
all of my conversations with users and and potential uh, sales uh, meetings. And yeah, I totally recommend that book. Yeah, it's a classic, hundred percent. Yeah. So let's so we're talking about your day to day and how you manage some stuff. But like, if we look out into the future, you know, you take your day to day, you do that for for ten more ten more years or or, or more. Um, what does the future look like when 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 you realize your vision? Or I guess in other words, what is your vision for Browse AI and what direction are you rowing in with the company? Yeah, that's a good question. So um I think I we we're gonna stick with that mission of democratizing access to information on the web. So we're never gonna become an enterprise-only solution, for example. Uh, but uh what we do wanna become is we uh well we've discovered this opportunity for becoming a better way to use information from the web. Uh, and we see a high likeliness that we're going to be able to get there. Uh, and uh, the way we think about it is people have been using web browsers for over 20 years for accessing information on the web, but web browsers were made for browsing, not for anything more serious than that. So if uh, as a prosumer or SMB or whatever type of business, if you need information from a website on an ongoing basis, uh, or if you need information in a more structured format so you can import it into another application or anything like that, uh, we want to be the the uh the standard for any sort of uh usage like that use case like that yeah so uh we expect to be used by millions of people over the next two years uh we were very ambitious when it comes to that uh and we want to be the a product that millions of people actively use on a regular basis and in order to make that happen you'll need some help right it takes a village to make a startup work and scale so my question for you is how can the forward-thinking founders community help are you Hiring, raising money, looking for customers, beta testers, enterprise, like how, how can we assist? Yeah, well, I, I am hiring. Uh, and uh, uh, I, yeah, so, so far we've been able to keep the organization pretty flat. Now is the time to hire different types of skill sets. And I'm looking for people who can, uh, that, that rare combination of people who can both do hands-on work and can also lead a team and hire a team and uh, yeah, do both pretty well. Uh, if, uh, yeah, there's uh, one of your listeners that that's good at both in any area, like it could be product marketing sales, uh, um, or, uh, customer success, um, we, I would love to talk to them. Uh, and my email is ardyrd at browse.ai. Cool. And then for my last question, um, you just alluded to it a little bit, which is great, but if someone wanted to connect with you anywhere on the internet. Um, where can they find you? Like, what's your website? Do you have social media presence? You just mentioned your email address, but is there any way else someone yeah. can connect with you? Yeah, Twitter is probably the best place. Uh, and I, I haven't been very active so far, but I'm going to be more active moving forward. Uh, yeah, and, and my handle is at A-R-D-A-L-A-N, me, uh, M-E. Uh, yeah, or actually, I'm not sure if that's the right handle. <laughs> but yeah, if you if you if, if you, you search you browse search AI. Your name and browse AI, I'm sure yeah. it'll come up somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, and so I guess my my, my, my last question, because it's pure curiosity, what is your because Twitter is such like an interesting like I I've spent a lot of time on Twitter in my tech career. I've ebbed and flowed. Right now yeah. I'm off it. Oftentimes I've been on it. Like where do you see your your relationship with Twitter in relation to growing browsers? Is it a distraction? Is it an asset? Is it both? I always like to dive into the Twitter thing because it is a rabbit hole, but it's we'll only oh, yeah. 30 seconds on it. <laughs> yeah. So I spent a lot of time on Twitter and I have been for the last few years uh, and I got so much out of it. So I, I feel like it can be a positive if you don't get distracted by all the uh, just the popular tweets and stuff that aren't like in any way helpful. Uh yeah, and I and I follow the people that like I, I follow usually people that I want to get uh, well to have something in common with where I want to get in a few years. 
Uh, and that's been very helpful. Yeah, I, 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 Twitter's been really helpful for me too. I'm at the point where it's a little abstracting, so I'm off. But in the, in the long run, it, it's definitely and generally an asset. Well, thank you yeah. so much, Artie, for coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate it. And best of luck building out Browse AI. Thank you, Matt.